Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com, and I always welcome you to connect me on LinkedIn. Today, I invited Mr. Aaron Rose to the show. He's the board member, corporate advisor, and co-founder of multiple companies. And Aaron has a really long history with China. Today, we would like to talk about: Is now a good time to invest in China? Aaron is a very experienced investor, so this is one of the topics I want to tap into. So, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you, Michelle. It's great to be with you. Oh, as I said, I know you have done a lot of things, and you have—I think it's close to 20 years working experience with China or in China. You have been in so many different companies with us, a long list of titles. <laughs> if I look at your website, so could you first、uh, um, introduce yourself to our audience? I think, especially from the angle that、uh, your connection with China. Yeah, I started my professional career 27 years ago as a entrepreneur and, and investor, and then about 2003, so 17 years ago, I had the opportunity to do my first business deal in China, and,、uh, and that was through a、uh, actually as a wearing two hats, one as a consultant and one as an investor through a project of the World Bank. To create a municipal bond uh, in uh, the province of Jinan in northeast China. So, ever since uh, 2003, uh, I've had some business activity through multiple businesses、um, in、uh, the Middle Kingdom. Wow! So that's many different things. As I said,、uh, you have a lot of different titles. Not everything is related to China, but.、Uh, Many different things. Can you just briefly also tell us about the different things, the different categories of things that you are involved in? Yeah, I mean, as an investor, I traditionally、uh, have invested in what they call the ICT sector, information and communications technology, starting back with the dot-com days of the '90s,、um, and I invested in my in a、uh, mobile network operator in South Africa. In 1995, so、uh, previously I was involved in a、uh, real estate venture in Latin America. So、uh, my career got started internationally、uh, very quickly. Over you know almost 30 years, I've been either investing in technology companies in the Middle East and in Asia, not of course China, but also in Southeast Asia, Korea, Japan. Australia. I was involved in a, in a company in Australia、um, for for a number of years,、uh, and Europe. So、uh, all all continents except for Antarctica,、um, <laughs> and、uh, 
And so that's, you know, I've been investing in companies and then I've been, um, and also as an investor, but then taking role as co-founder. So there are companies where um, I will make an investment, but I am also becoming an active member of the management team. I'm involved with like, you know, two or three companies now that have a, a president and a co-founder, an active co-founder that has a presence in China, uh, as well as other uh, emerging markets. Um, and then, you know, the, I mentioned the consultancy, every entrepreneur investor also has the consulting hat and, and I enjoy, uh, getting involved with companies, um, that are, are trying to expand to new markets, China included, and navigating the trials and tribulations, as they say, uh, navigating the waters in these new markets. Wow. Worldwide traveler. <laughs> yes, I, I have. I have visited 94 countries, and I have worked in 67 of the 94 I visited. So uh, amazing! Yeah, it's been it's it's been I've been very fortunate, very grateful. Mm-hmm. And I can see how many things a person can do from you, right? As an example, wearing many different hats, involved in many different businesses, and across different industries. Yes. So you have to be a lifelong learner. I mean, I, you know, I, I love learning new things and it comes down to the team. It comes down to the people that you're doing business with and, uh, and building those relationships and building the trust and learning from each other. And, uh, and, you know, so I've been, I've been lucky. I've been surrounded. Uh, I had a mentor of mine early in my career who said, surround yourself with people smarter than you. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I, if the pie is a hundred percent, I know that 2% pretty well, but, you know, I need to surround myself with people that can, can su- supply that 98%, and I've been fortunate in that area. And, you know, I know you are also a blogger. With your very busy life, very busy traveling, all these different things, you manage to find time to blog. I read some of your articles. It's very interesting. I want to start from here, <laughs> your blogging. Uh, your blog is named Solutions for Sustainable World. And you share very useful yes. information and the resources there. You also have many articles related to China. When I read it, I said I really studied it. And I think it is very informational. So can you tell us why you started this blog back in 2008? And what are typical things that you write about? Yeah, I started the blog for really three reasons. One is, is that my parents really didn't understand what I did for a living. You know, they, you know, like, well, and I was consulting Microsoft. I I spent a year in Brazil in 2005, and I was traveling all over Latin America for Microsoft. And my father says, well, you, you work with computers. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I do business strategy. I, you know, I help strategic planning and identifying new markets and, and coming up with solutions in the markets they're in. And, and so my, my father really didn't understand that. And, and my mom, you know, understood a little bit better of what I did for a living, but still, you know, trying to fill in the details and explain it. So I had friends of mine also, you know, Aaron, what do you do and where are you going? And so I did it kind of saying, well, this is what I'm doing. This is where I've been. This is where I'm going. 
the other uh, reason I did it is because I take a very philosophical approach to business. Another piece of advice a, a mentor gave me early in my career is make informed decisions. And someone had asked me, you know, do I worry about making bad decisions in business? And I said, if me or my colleagues are making informed decisions, I don't worry, I don't lose sleep at night if they're the bad decision. Not every decision is going to be the right decision, but they're informed. Our odds of making a, a terrible decision, a decision that's going to bring down the company, is reduced. So the blog forces me to read the material that I'm writing about. And so if I'm writing about a, an 80-page report, I've actually read every page of the 80 pages, and it, it's forced me to kind of hold myself accountable in, in the knowledge. And then the other part of it is, is that, as many blogs are, it's kind of a soapbox. And if I have a particular opinion about something, this allows me to kind of uh, represent and flesh out my ideas and my beliefs on a particular topic, whether it's geopolitical or socioeconomic issues. So, so, and then it provides a portfolio. It's basically my portfolio. I'm not an artist. I don't play music, but it's a portfolio of my ideas and my experiences that I can show to clients of my consulting business or to my colleagues. Uh, you know, we, we, if we bring on a new hire, like about China, then, you know, one of the things that that new employee is given is a link to my blog and specifically those links about China and they could get a better sense of how I look at the world um, and my perspective. And of course, anything I write about is open for debate. I never claim that I'm right. I have strong opinions, but I, I love healthy debate. I love and, and I'm willing to change my ideas, you know, if, if I hear a better argument. So that was really the purpose of the blog. Um, the first entry was about, I had been doing work in Africa. I had been doing work in, in Darfur, um, which was going through a terrible human rights uh, uh, conflict at the time. My job as a consultant was to come up with economic development uh, programs and policies uh, to uh, build up the, the economy in Darfur so people would have jobs. Um, but I attended a conference in Washington, D.C., where I used to live at the time. And I thought, well, this will be an interesting topic. And then topic number two was a, a result of me attending the 2008 uh, Summer Olympics, and uh, which I had the pleasure of doing uh, in Beijing. Um, but people were asking me, you know, what did I think about Beijing and China holding the Olympics? Um, because it was a big deal. It was a big deal for China. And so, yeah. So. That was the reason why I started the blog, but it really is first and foremost for me to kind of digest the information that I read. Hmm. Yeah, I found that it's very informational because it has a lot of the reports that you read and then you take the key points and post it there. And it has links to many different uh, other things related to it. So for me, I see, oh, this is great. If I want to know the China 5G, <laughs> uh, the, right. the trends, what's going on, I, your, uh, your blog uh, is a very good starting point for me to find the um, related information if I only have like a, 
three, four minutes. And if I have more minutes, then you have links. I can just click and see the full report that where you cited, you put in, you pulled the information. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, of all this research that you are following and blogging about, and of so many things that you you are involved in, as we just <laughs> talked about, right? Uh, I, I think uh, you probably have observed and thought a lot about uh, what's going on in the world. Uh, let me just uh, pull it back. Let's look at China. Sure. Uh, what are some top trends that you have observed about China that you can share with us? Well, there are a number of different trends. I guess one from the, since you mentioned 5G, there's the technology trend. There's the trend that 5G, you know, I, I remember my, in my career when 4G, you know, came online and, and, uh, and now we've got 5G and before we know it, I think it'll be 6G someday soon. But in the technology sense, definitely seeing the research and development in the area of 5G and, and really what, what that will allow, 5G is just the highway, you know, it's just, it's the pipeline, but it will provide business opportunities in Internet of Things or connected devices, uh, IoT, as they call it, uh, artificial intelligence, and, uh, and really mass communication. So uh, definitely 5G and, and things related behind that. Um, China is going through a transformation from a, a, a manufacturing-driven uh, economy to a consumer-driven economy. And so you're seeing with the rising middle class. China on a per capita GDP is still poor. I think it's still, and I can't remember what the latest numbers it, number is, but it wasn't that long ago where it was only like one-tenth on a per capita GDP, one-tenth of Japan's. Um, now, overall, China is the second largest economy. You know, I guess some surveys says it's larger than the U.S. That's because it has 1.4 billion people. But on a per capita GDP, it's rising. The wealth per individual is rising. And so you're seeing the consumer economy really starting to grow. And it's really still at the very early stages right now. So you'll, you'll see it in services, consumer services, as well as consumer products. And so that is something when I look at the 2020s and, and into the 2030, uh, the next 10 to 15 years, uh, the rise of the consumer economy, which will include technology services as, and as a result of 5G. So those are a couple areas that I see that are, that's really changing today in, in China. Oh, that's great. I think it's time for us to take a quick break and we will come back. And when we come back, I want to hear from you as an investor, what you think about these trends and what's the connection to the investing business. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. Now we are back. Before we took the break, you talked about the top trends on top of your mind, right? You have observed through research and through what you have seen in China. Now, I want you to put on the investor hat. Help us to think about why those trends you mentioned uh, that are, you know, you think is important and what opportunities have you seen through these trends uh, from an investor's eye? 
Well, the one trend I'm seeing is definitely, the, like I said, the services, technology services. One area is education services. You know, education's always been big in, in China. And you look at companies like New Oriental, which is you know, Beijing-based, traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, you know, every young person I meet, the young Chinese person I meet in, in the United States have been a student of New Oriental either learning English or, or taking SAT prep classes or GRE, but you're starting to see more of the digital services being delivered. Um, and education services is, is one area. Uh, automotive um, is something that as an investor that I'm looking at closely, you know, the, the uh, electric vehicle, number one, mm-hmm. very big. You've got a number of, of entrants. Uh, and not just Chinese companies like Neo, but Tesla, right? Tesla, you know, ha- has a big facility in Shanghai. And then you'll have autonomous vehicles. You'll go, you know, that'll be the next generation. So that's an area. Tourism. You know, I remember it wasn't that long ago. I think Germans were on a per capita basis were the biggest spenders in tourism. I think China has by far exceeded that. And in uh, both domestic and international tourism, you go to Vegas, you go to New York, you go to San Francisco, Hawaii, and now you're seeing it in, in, in Dubai and shopping holidays and safaris in, in sub-Saharan Africa. So tourism is, a, is another big opportunity for investors. So those are the areas that I, that I see are, are the, the investment opportunities. Uh, and then, of course, the, what, I, what we call the, the IoT, but in, in a sense specifically is applied to smart cities. Um, and so you're going to have uh, you know, better technology on better use of energy, better traffic management, better use of water, as water is becoming a very, very uh, scarce commodity globally, uh, China included. And so you're, so the IoT and the industrial IoT is there. And then cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, you know, China, which is reputationally has had its challenges in cybersecurity, uh, but they are now, you know, Chinese companies are realizing now they need to keep their system secure. Um, and so you're starting to see cybersecurity take on a more of a global meaning, uh, and that's creating an investment opportunity. Hmm. That's many different areas. And as an investor, you see the opportunities when you connect it to the trends. One thing, when you talk about all these different industries, everything makes sense to me. Uh, one thing I want to uh, ask more is the tourism now before the COVID-19 uh, before the pandemic I think it yes it's a, a rising right it's it's a industry where you see so many Chinese going abroad and uh, spending money enjoying all these different shopping as well as experience uh, now with COVID-19 it changed everybody's life it changed a lot of those related industries uh, what's your uh, what's your projection for this industry in the future? And well, the long, yeah, go ahead. Long term, I'm I'm optimistic. I mean, yes, 2020 is a tough year for the tourism industry, and 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 unfortunately, you're going to have many companies worldwide. Uh, if you're dependent on the tourism sector, you'll, you'll see bankruptcy. 
um, and you'll see some consolidation. Um, but long term, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic we will have a, a vaccine uh, to COVID-19. Um, and, uh, and again, if you're investing in 2020, which if, you're, if, if you have capital to deploy, to, to put the work, you have money to put the work, 2020 could be a very good time to invest in the tourism industry because things really can't get much worse than they are now. But when you invest, you need to be looking many years down the road. So when I look at my, my, my crystal ball, you know, I'm thinking 2025 and beyond in the tourism industry. And that's where I get optimistic. I, I think, you know, we'll have, we'll have a, a vaccine to COVID-19. COVID-19 will be, you know, ancient history for, for hopefully for many of us um, soon. But then, you know, the tourism numbers will rebound and, uh, and, and they will rebound stronger. You, you know, you will see Chinese tourists, you know, back internationally um, in 2021 and, and beyond. So, but it is, you have to really think about the future and kind of predict what the future is going to look like. But it will rebound. Uh, that I'm confident. So it's mm -hmm. just a matter of when and how quickly. Mm. Okay. You have done a lot of projects or co-founded companies related to businesses with China. Uh, I think um, I would like to hear from you your personal experience, right? Uh, when you are working with people uh, on China-related projects or when you were in China physically um, or anything related to that, how do you describe your experience uh, generally? And maybe give us a few stories so we know sure. how you look at China and the Chinese. <laughs> um, candidly, it's been nerve-wracking. You know, doing business in China is not easy. There are countries today that you probably can even make more money than you could in China and not have the headache. In, in a country like India, right? I was on a webinar this morning that was produced by a, a law firm that specializes doing business in China. And the topic on today was about India. And, and I, my colleagues and I are looking at India much more closely. I mean, we, India is, uh, is rising, but with China, you know, it's been it's been interesting, both interesting good and interesting bad. The 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 good side is is that it's an exciting market. From from as an American doing business in China, um, again, I take a philosophical approach to doing business, which also means understanding the history. I think Americans or you know non-Chinese people, your my European um, colleagues and friends, uh, I would group this as well. To really understand doing business in China, you know, many Westerners see China as a fairly new country, right? Mm. Less about 70 years old, let's say. But it's really politically, it's a new country that's wrapped around one of the world's oldest civilizations. And so I think you really need to understand the civilization part of China to understand kind of the psyche, the mentality of, of business, of trade. And so I've been able to be successful in China because I've, I've, I've comprehended that. I've comprehended the traditions and, and have some sense of the dynasties and the history. Um, and yeah, the, the politics, that's kind of a new chapter of, of China. But so, 
so it's been exciting. It's it's been great opportunities. Um, you know, I I I I love the egalitarian in 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 China, meaning men and women. You know, women are in position of power. Probably should be more than they are, but it's better than it is in the United States. You know, you see more women CEOs. You see more senior managers. Uh, you know, this might uh, ups, this comment might upset my male colleagues, but but women work harder, and I think they make smarter decisions generally. But I think in China as well. So I feel better when I'm at the table with a woman uh, because I feel the decisions are being you know, are smarter. I think they're being more well informed again with the notion making decisions. Um, so that's an aspect of China that I, I really enjoyed. Most of my colleagues are women. A couple of the companies that I'm a co-founder of, the majority uh, are women. Um, and that is something different in China than I've experienced in other markets uh, internationally. Um, so that's, that's one. And then there's some of the negative sides of China. Uh, and, and to be quite candid, the, inter the intellectual property theft. Mm. I had a company where we hired a local partner and they stole our technology. They wow. stole our IP. So for friends of mine that say it doesn't happen, it does happen. It happened to me. It happened to a company that I was a majority shareholder of and, and this was a company that we had hired uh, and they, you know, and then it was based in Beijing and, and you know, as accidental, we found out they had stolen our IP. So when was that? Know, that? That was uh, about three or four years ago. Mm. So, um, yeah, probably about four years ago, uh, 2016. And, you know, the, the IP theft, you know, people say, did you try to sue in court? Well, you know, no American company is going to be successful suing in China courts. I mean, Chinese courts, understandably, really do favor the Chinese companies. And you can maybe say, to some sense that might be true in the US, a Chinese company tried suing an American company. So the, the, the take legal recourse uh, was difficult. And, you know, it was a lesson learned. I mean, it was, it was a big lesson learned. But the fact is, it does exist. And the reason I mention it is because I've, you know, some of your listeners and friends of mine say, no, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, the threat of it still exists, and I'm still getting reports from my attorneys of, of clients that his firm is representing that it is still happening. And so that still is a concern about doing business in China. The other challenge of doing business in China is really understanding on who you're doing business with. You know, I've had people come to the negotiating table trying to do a business deal. And they say they're the CEO or they're the director. And the reality is the person really making the decision is five layers deep that you'll never meet. And, and that's still an ongoing problem. Who exactly are you doing business with? Who exactly is the decision maker? And, uh, and that's still a challenge. It's still a big challenge doing business in China. And then the other part, which my Chinese friends don't like, to hear, but it's, it's a problem. A lot of the documents that's presented in front of me, a lot of the, you know, the, the corporate documents and financial documents, because I'm trying to, you know, do the due diligence mm -hmm. of who to, you know, a lot of it is fake. You know, a lot of it is fraudulent documents. And, uh, 
and and that's frustrating and 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 so you're spending a lot of time and a lot of money trying to figure out you know what what's real i'm an advisor to a company that was having something manufactured in china they that the the ceo went to the canton fair met a, met a vendor there said you know we can manufacture what you want they had these beautiful brochures this was 3 years ago beautiful brochures of their facility. And when I had a, a colleague of mine uh, in Shanghai drive three hours uh, to visit the facility, the facility was not even close to what was advertised on the brochure. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, yeah, it, it wasn't even close. So, you know, those are the challenges of doing business in China. Um, things have improved, again, since 2003, things have improved. Uh, uh, certainly, but um, but I think for China to really accelerate in the position that the leaders are trying to position the country in as a as a as a global leader, geopolitically and social economic, more reform is required, and that's where I lose uh, my patience gets thin. I'd like to see more reform today and not tomorrow. So again, it's an old civilization. It takes a long time for things to evolve, um, but if you have the patience um, and 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 the courage, you know it, it can be done. Hmm. Sounds like it's very different than here in the U.S. Uh, from business standpoint, right? One, yeah. What if I can actually add to that real quick, Michelle? I mean, one thing that's different is that. A China, you know, there's two things that frustrates me about doing business in China, and, and it's called the word is reciprocity. It is easy, as it should be, for anyone to come to the United States and establish a business. Anyone today can on, online through the secretary, like if you want to establish a business in Seattle, you can form an LLC or a corporation online through the Secretary of State's website. Right. You know, and you don't need to be a citizen. You need you need a registered agent as a and that has to be a resident in the state of Washington, but you don't need a local partner. You don't you know you can do that very easily. Establishing a business in China is not that easy, and and I wish it was easier. And I, that's something that I wish did change yesterday. That's that's one different. The other one I, I was a, a co-founder and and the president and CEO of a company called ROI3 Inc where we created a uh, mobile applications for people in China to learn uh, specialized English terminology. One was in medical English and the other one was in aviation English. And our business model was licensing our applications to enterprises. And we did that primarily because that was our only choice. You could not at the time and I don't know if it's things have changed. This was just a few years ago. I couldn't publish an app on a China app store on my own. You have to have mm. a license. And, and while there's no written rule, but the Chinese government would not give non-Chinese companies that license. Whereas anyone from China can publish an app on the Google app store or Apple uh, app store today. Those are the two differences that are very frustrating um, when people in China says, Aaron, come do business and more business in China when the, the, the playing field isn't equal. 
and and that that needs to change and that's from my experience mm -hmm. yeah that's true i think even today uh, register a company in china it takes a it's a lot faster than before uh, before it was like a many months now it takes a, i don't know how long but uh, probably a couple of weeks the process still goes much more complicated than here in the united states you just go to the website and uh, half an hour one hour you submitted all the information that you've done it's yeah it is very different so i uh, really appreciate your insights as somebody who have been in china for so many years and have done a lot of business there that you share both sides of the view i know you have you mentioned you you have co-founded companies in China or with your Chinese partners. Uh, can you tell us one example of how you uh, come up with that idea and why you did that and how the company is going today? Well, yeah, I mean, one is, is Eco, uh, which is a, officially a US-based company headquartered in Seattle. But that is a, a media company and uh, you know, of course, that's another industry heavily, heavily regulated uh, in China, in my opinion, too much so. I, I would love to see the regulations eased up uh, significantly. And then, uh, but I'll stop myself on that criticism because then we'll get into the censorship and great firewall <laughs> issue, which really gets me going. And I'm happy to expand on that later. But with Eco, and I have no, this is where business is personal. Uh, I mentioned ROI3 Inc. was my open mobile app development company, and, and through that experience, um, I was able to meet some amazing young Chinese college students at uh, the local schools in Seattle, Seattle University and the University of Washington. And two of my uh, interns, they were started off as interns, I've developed a relationship with them over, through that experience. And two of them, young ladies, were graduating uh, from the University of Washington, and they had a, an idea about creating a magazine. And so they came to me and they said, you know, we want to do this magazine. We need to create a business. We don't know how. You know, will you help us? And so um, to me, that was a, a easy decision of yes, because I had already developed the, the relationship with them. I, we trust each other. We know how to work with each other. I know I can be very demanding in business. I'd like to think I'm also fair and reasonable. They have their, you know, little little issues as well, being, you know, very young and driven, but also not very experienced. And so I met with some of their friends that were going to be co-founders. And I said, all right, let's let's draft the articles of incorporation and uh, and let's form this business. So we formed it on, I think, November 6, 2016. Um, I think it was the day that uh, the, uh, Trump was elected. It was the day that we formed it, just coincidence. Uh, and then we had our first magazine published. Uh, we had it published in China. It's a magazine, and the content is in Chinese. And the topic uh, of our articles are culture and society. Um, so issue number one came out in January. Uh, the distribution, because of the uh, media restrictions in China, our magazine is, is primarily distributed outside of China. So North America, Europe, Australia, uh, where there are Chinese uh, readers. Um, so that's a business that really got started because of people that I trust, 
people that were willing to work hard, that we can learn from each other, and also understanding risk. Um, businesses fail not because of a lack of opportunity, they fail because of the risks. And, and most businesses fail, right? Only nine out of 10 businesses or only one out of 10 are successful or, you know, after five years. So the idea was that we'll put a business plan together and we will identify the risks and we will do what we can to mitigate those risks. And you need luck, but you need to put your business in a position of being lucky. And, you know, as long as my, long, as long as my co-founders understood all that, I was going to be joining and supporting the ride. And so we've been able to do that. So we've put out a few issues, uh, culture and society. The latest issue was on, uh, had a particular theme on, on travel. And now we're, we're pivoting uh, into a, a digital platform. We did not have one in the beginning. We went old fashioned, uh, an actual paper copy. Um, but we are now ex pivoting and expanding um, and also taking on uh, a creative agency and, and doing that aspect. So I have no idea where it's headed. Um, that's part of the fund of entrepreneurship. I hope that you know will be uh, profitable and will generate uh, shareholder value, um, but um, but it's it's been fun and and you got to take the chance. So so that's one business, uh, but because of the concerns of media censorship uh, and restrictions, that's that's an issue. Uh, that's a barrier we encounter daily with uh, with doing business in China. Yeah, for that business, uh, I'm thinking because media right you have articles published i don't know how you make money through doing this because there are so many different media online today digitally and and everything's free <laughs> everything so how, is free it, how do we make money mm -hmm. it's it's it, it, no it's a great question and trust me when i went to my financial advisor and said hey you know you know, I want to invest in co-found a media company. And my advisor says, oh, well, digital media. I said, no, this is a magazine. Digital is not part of the equation. This is going to be a, 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 an actual paper copy. And he thought, you know, you're, you're crazy. Part of it is, is because everything is digital that I have found that people love the paper copy. You know, pe people, people, you know, they remember it. They, you know, now it's got increased costs. But it's part of the marketing aspect of having the the, the actual physical uh, document, the actual physical publication. Um, you know, our revenue model right now is on advertising. The magazine is free, so we've got we've got advertising. That's our mm -hmm. that's our model. Um, but the media industry, and you look at the global media industry, it is tough. You've had you've had huge consolidation. Uh, over the years because uh, companies have not been able to be uh, successful on their own. So they've consolidated um, and, and it is, it is, yeah, the odds of success for us are very small, but I think we can be lucky um, and work hard to be successful, but, but it is going to be very difficult and it's, it's a long haul. I mean, when, when my, you know, I'm the chairman of the board, and when we have our board meetings, and, and last month we had our, our uh, virtually our annual shareholders meeting, 
I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm asking questions that's related to the vision of the company in 2030. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not worried about 2021 or 2022. 2020 has set us back. This was supposed to be a year of a major expansion and, and implementation of a new business strategy. Um, you know, we're, that's on hold, of course. So we're moving that to 2021 and, and 2022. But I'm still looking, when I look at the future, I'm looking at 2030. Um, so what it'll look like, I don't know. I'm hoping we'll be profitable of whatever it is. And, you know, and maybe we will buy out, you know, other companies and consolidate. It's, it's an area. But, but you're right, Michelle. It, it is a tough, tough business uh, to uh, differentiate yourself. Uh, and that's where we hope with the content. We hope the content on lifestyle uh, and society is good. Okay, I think it's time to take another very quick break. And when we come back, I want to get some of your advice to people who are looking into China if they want to invest there. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. We're back. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm talking to Aaron Rose. So, Aaron, now continue where your investor hat and your consultancy hat. Um, I want to ask you this question, which is related to the title, right, uh, of this episode. Is now a good time to invest in China? No matter if yes or no, what's your advice to people? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the answer, of course, is yes and no. You know, going on the positive of yes, you know, the, the economy is growing, the 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 wealth is growing, um, the per capita GDP is growing. The, you know, people in the rural areas of China are are getting you know wealthier. Um, so you're seeing. Um, you know, you're seeing more wealth being created in China. So if you're going into particularly consumer services and products for consumers, um, you know, it, it, it could be a very good opportunity to invest in China. The other side is, you know, the negative side, the answer is no. You know, it's not so much about is it a bad time to invest in China, the question is, if there's 194 countries, if you look at the map of the, of, of the world, or you, you know, you've got a globe in your home, you, know, you can pick and choose what country to invest in. And, and there are other countries that you might get a better value for your investment. Um, you know, I'm thinking Mexico, particularly if you're an American investor. You know, Mexico has put problems politically, but they're growing economically. And there is a far fewer regulations in Mexico than there are in China. Um, and so, uh, you know, India, you know, again, India, the next few years got some, some headwinds. But if you're thinking about the next 10 or 15 years, you know, I can kind of make a better case of investing in India than I would in China. 
but if you're intent on investing in China, because it is a big population, um, and again, the consumer market is growing, the, there's still some of the challenges that exist, as I mentioned earlier, IP protection, uh, contract enforceability. Those are the, the big issues. The foreign exchange risk, there, there's still some, you know, I don't know if people want to use, use the word manipulation of the currency, of the renminbi, but there is, it's not as freely convertible as I would like it to be. It's much better The PBOC, People's Bank of China, has done a much better job and letting the yuan fluctuate based on market conditions, but um, but it's still you know forex risk is still a risk, and uh, so those are some of the challenges. So, but if you are well aware of the challenges, you know, it, it, and it depends what you're investing in. So to take your question a little bit deeper, if you're looking to take your American business or your European business to China, candidly, that's a tough one. That is, again, you know, you may, if you're looking about financial opportunity, Southeast Asia particularly, I would say go to Vietnam, go to Indonesia, go to Malaysia, you know, far fewer restrictions, growing economically, uh, far, you know, you're going to have headaches, but there are going to be fewer headaches than going to mainland China. But if you have an opportunity to invest in a Chinese company, um, that might be the better opportunity. Uh, this week's Economist uh, has a great article about Tencent and how Tencent, which is publicly traded, you know, on, on a couple of exchanges that Westerners can buy stock in, like in, in Hong Kong. Um, Tencent is really the global player in gaming. I mean, they're known for WeChat, but this article in The Economist was about gaming and and, and, and they really have investments in gaming over the world. And one of, the, one of the points of the article was that as a global player, they're not getting the criticism from American governments like the US and, and Western Europe, like Huawei is getting. And how is, how is Tencent able to do it? And, and so, uh, so there are Chinese companies that I think you could invest in in China in the next few years. But again, you know, you can bifurcate that between publicly traded companies that have some level of disclosure that's required versus the private held companies where disclosure has always been a problem and, and it continues to be. So if you're aware of those risks and you have the stomach and appetite for those risks, you know, why not? All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate your approach is looking at both sides and not just the surface. You really systematically approach these questions and provide a framework for people to think about the risks as well as the opportunities. Thanks so much for all this great sharing and your advice. I think today uh, that's about it. Uh, we talked about is now a good time to invest in China. And Aaron, you shared a lot of knowledge as well as your own experience about China with us. Um, I really appreciate your time as well as your knowledge sharing here. I would uh, highly recommend our audience to check out uh, Aaron Rose blog. The blog name is Solutions for Sustainable World. You will find a lot of very useful information there. And you can go to uh, the website roi3.com.
blogspot.com. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. I look forward to talking to you again next time. Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhou. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week.